If you have your Bible, would you please turn to John chapter 16. John 16, we continue in this series entitled Jesus Is. The very first Sunday we talked about how Jesus is light and life. And last week we talked about how Jesus is hope. And today we're talking about how Jesus is joy and he is peace. And we're here in this passage as Jesus addresses his disciples. If I help kind of set us up a little bit to understand the context of the setting here and where he's at with his disciples. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, this is his last evening before he's crucified. And he is with his disciples. He washes their feet. They partake in the Last Supper. In John 14, he talks about how he's going to be leaving, but he's going to prepare a place for them. And then he's also going to send the Holy Spirit to be someone who can comfort them and guide them and help them. And he also talks about how if you abide in him, you'll produce fruit. And he's speaking these things over his disciples. And in chapter 16, he sort of addresses the fact that they're going to struggle a little bit. And they're going to go through some hard times. And he gives them some encouragement in the midst of that. And that's where we're focusing in on today with joy and peace, even in the midst of troubles and hardship. And so that is the context. His last evening before he would go to the cross. And so before we read from verse 16 here in chapter 16, I want to take a moment to pray together, asking for the Lord to bless this time as we... Read from the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time together to gather around your Word, and I ask for your blessing in communicating this, the things you've pressed upon my heart to share. And I just ask, Lord, that you would bring a peace, bring joy, bring grace here and now. We thank you for this. We ask for a special blessing upon the children's ministry as they're meeting right now. We thank you for this. Amen. Amen. All right. Read with me here in verse 16. I'll begin. Jesus says, In a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. And some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me? And, and then he says, I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. They're, they're getting all stirred up here. In verse 19, the Bible says, Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. And I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor And when her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, 
but I will see you again. And then you will rejoice. And no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will, re- he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and I will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, At last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus asked, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble But take heart, I have overcome the world. I want to start off here considering Jesus' words when he says, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then a little while after that, you're going to see me again. And the disciples are a little bit confused by exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And To help kind of break this down, for us, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and we can see, oh, this is what Jesus was talking about. But they they didn't have that luxury. They were trying to figure out what Jesus was saying, what he was predicting. When Jesus says, in a little while you won't see me anymore, it's because he's about to get arrested, tortured, crucified, and killed, and then buried. And this man that they've spent several years now following, putting their trust in, he's dead. And he talks about how there's going to be a deep sorrow and a grief that they're going to experience. But then he says, in a little while, you're going to see me again. And they're all confused by this. But now Jesus is speaking about his resurrection and the many appearances that he's going to make following the first one where he appears to the women at the tomb. The first little while would be only a few hours away, and the second little while would be a few days away. And Jesus is speaking about these things that are to come in just a few short hours, and he's warning them of these things because they're going to walk through some difficult times. He's preparing them. And the very next thing Jesus addresses is that his resurrection will actually move them from sorrow and grief into this wonderful joy that nobody can rob from them. 
It's abundant. He says, I tell you, you're going to weep and mourn over things that are going to happen to me. But suddenly, your grief will turn to joy. He talks about how a woman goes through the pains of labor, but then when that is over, she has this bundle of joy. It's almost inexpressible at a loss for words. Now, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, can you imagine the loss for words that they had when Jesus rose again? Their sadness turned to joy. And folks, I just want to remind us that Jesus' resurrection makes all the difference in our life. If he had not risen from the grave, you and I, we would have much reason to continue in our sorrow and grief. But the resurrection brings us hope. And I want to be clear, joy is not the absence of suffering but it's found in the presence of God. And we're going to walk through things, but having God makes the difference. And for us to have him in our life, it's because of the resurrection. In Luke 2, verse 10, the angel tells those that he appeared to, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. It's not just the announcement of Jesus' birth, but this little child Jesus would one day be raised from the dead. That's why this is a big deal. Sorrow and happiness are both part of the human experience and both depend largely on circumstances. How many of you have ever been really happy before? Okay, four of you. Fantastic. Okay? We should sing that happy birthday song again. Maybe this is it. Okay. How many of you have ever sorrowed? Okay? And a lot of that is because of circumstances that we walk through. But when we unite ourselves to the risen Christ... He gives us a joy that no circumstance could ever dampen. There is joy in Jesus' resurrection. Jesus goes on to say that if you pray in my name, whatever you ask, it will be given. And we can kind of stumble over this one. You could read right through this and and then you think of times in your life when maybe you've prayed for something and then it didn't maybe go the way you had hoped. Anybody with me on that one? So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Here is he's addressing his disciples on this final evening. He says this more than once. He actually addresses it in John 14 and says it again in John 15 and then he says it again and John 16. And you think when Jesus rose from the dead and he brings joy, and then you think, what did the disciples experience next? A whole world of persecution, suffering, and pain, and losing their lives. And did they ever say to themselves, I thought he said, whatever we pray in his name, it would happen. 
You remember him saying that several times on the last night we were together? I think we need to have an understanding of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And it's not just simply adding his name into our prayers that somehow it might just happen. It means that we pray according to his will. What's interesting is he says, you don't need to ask me for anything like you do now, but then you'll be able to ask for anything in my name. And there's two different versions of that word in that sentence. One is more of an inquiry. They had lots of questions. Jesus, we need some answers here. The other ask is like petition. Jesus, we need your help. We need your help to accomplish your purposes in our life. Brian, you didn't know this was my notes, and as you prayed today, you said, help our request be his desires. And I think that's the point we're trying to make here, is that our heart needs to be aligned with his heart. And when that happens, we start praying very pure prayers. We pray according to the revealed will of God, which would be in alignment with the Scriptures. And our prayers accomplish God's purposes only if they are submitted to and in tune with God, His Word, and His desires for our life. In 1 John 5, verses 14 through 15, the Bible says that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we have asked of him that's from the apostle john who would have been there on that night and heard these statements from jesus that if you ask anything in my name it'll be done he understood the context of what jesus was trying to say it wasn't like a genie lamp, and if I just say Jesus' name, I'll get whatever I want. He knew I need to ask according to the will of God. And one of the ways in which I need to get my heart aligned with God's heart is to remember those words on that last night when Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus points out the need to have a heart that's aligned with him. And then we begin to ask for things that are pure. When our prayers are in harmony with God's word and his character, they can be extremely effective. Now Jesus had spoke figuratively to his disciples many times, but here it's like he just opens the curtain up and speaks very clearly, very plainly to them. And he says, you love me and believe that I came from God. That's the bottom line. You guys believe in me. You believe where I came from. And he says, I came from the Father into the world. And now I'm going to leave the world and return to the Father. And it clicks for the disciples. They go, Jesus, you've been speaking figuratively. We see it clearly now. That word figurative, when it comes to what Jesus is saying, it means to be veiled. 
something that might be obscure. And what seemed hard to understand for the disciples during the life of Jesus, it now becomes clear, and I think it's going to get more and more clear after his death, his resurrection, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. They're seeing clearly. And so while Jesus commends them for believing, he also points out that they're going to let him down. They're going to scatter. And you see it happen right at the arrest. Off they go. He says, you'll be scattered, each going his own way. And he says, even leaving me alone. What's interesting, too, here is that as the disciples abandoned Jesus in his darkest hour, Jesus still loves them. Jesus still has a compassion for them, an amazing example of unconditional love. If you think the people that are closest to you, when you hit your darkest hour and they left, how would you feel? But Jesus has a love for these men. What's interesting is later in John 19, we see that actually the disciple John is present at his crucifixion. But we don't hear any mention of any of the other disciples as he's there on the cross, sucking in his last breaths. Where are they? But Jesus says, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. That's a huge verse right there. As I'm telling you, in Jesus' darkest hour, even though his disciples abandoned him, his Father never abandoned him. When we go through some of our darkest times, we can stand on the fact that our Father does not leave us just like he never left us, or Jesus. So our memory verse for this week is the last one of this passage, John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things. Not just what he said here in chapter 16, but in 15, 14, and 30, I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace, and in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. We're going to camp out on this for just a little bit right now. Because there is a lot of power in this one verse. The first thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble. That's a fact. He doesn't say in this world you might have trouble or you could have trouble. He says in this world you will have trouble. One translation says you'll have many, many trials and sorrows. We're going to walk through hard things. So it's not an if, it's a we will. And I want you to notice the contrast between the words when he says you'll have peace that is in him. He says, in me you'll have peace. And he says, and in this world you'll have trouble. So in him and in this world. Do you see the difference? 
In Christ there's peace, and in this world there's a whole lot of trouble and tribulation. In the Life Application Bible, it says that as Christians we should expect a continuing tension with a world that is out of sync with Christ. At the same time, we should have an expectation that through our relationship with Christ, there's going to be a production of peace and comfort because we're in sync with Him. So the more and more we go to the world, the more and more we're going to have a heartache and a pain and a lack of peace and a lack of joy. But Jesus is saying, if you come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. And I'm going to give you a joy, even in the midst of a joyless world that is in constant conflict. In Christ, in the world. In Christ, there is peace. In the world, there is tribulation. I love these words from Charles Stanley when he says, What is this peace? What is this peace? He says, It's an inner sense of contentment and quietness regardless of life's circumstances. It is a steadfast confidence in our ever-faithful, immutable Heavenly Father. It is the presence of joy in the midst of of unhappiness. True peace does not merely dull our pain. A person who has genuine godly peace can endure an avalanche of hardship and difficulty and still enjoy an inner peace that surpasses all human understanding. Instead, This peace is based on the fact that the spirit of our holy and omnipotent and never-changing God, it lives within us. And so he asks the question, does enjoying God's perfect peace mean that you'll never feel the effects of the storms that are raging around you? What do you think? He says, hardly. But God's peace is complete, it's adequate, and it's sufficient for anything that you face. And I want you to hear this truth right now. Peace doesn't mean that you will not have problems. But it, peace means that your problems will not have you. This is a peace that only Christ can bring. I said at the prayer a moment ago when we closed the time of praise and worship is that He gives a peace and it's not as the world gives. And that peace holds us steady, even in the midst of things of life. Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those whom His favor rests. We can walk through trials just like everybody else on this planet. And some people... It seems like they're walking through one thing after another, and for others, it doesn't seem like maybe they're walking through the same things. But the fact and the reality of it is we all walk through things, but peace resides with those that have the favor of God. Amen. 
in this world you'll have trouble, Jesus says, take heart. Now, I want to spend just a little bit of time on this because that word that's used in the Greek packs a lot of punch. Take heart. Take heart. There were several people who came into the building today and they're like, it's cold out there. Maybe that was you. There's something about wind and really cold temperatures. It just feels like it cuts right through you. But then you walk into some place warm and you can just feel the change. And there's a comfort in that. I'm out of that, that wind and the, the cold temperatures. And that word, take heart, means to be comforted or even bolstered because we're warmed up. And there's a peace that God brings into our life. He brings a warmth and a presence to us when we're walking through things that are very bitter. Take heart. Be of good cheer. Be of good courage because I've overcome the world. Now, I want to add one more element here to this word, take courage. Because as I look at this word and I'm looking at how it's used and, and the definition of this word, yes, it means to be warmed up, but what it means even further is we're warmed up because we have a warm heart. So I want you to think about that. It means that if Christ is in our heart, he then gives us a peace. We can be of good courage. We can be of good cheer. But if we don't have Christ, you're going to struggle with the truth of taking heart and being of good courage. As you look at that word, it includes the presence of Christ right in your own heart. That's loaded. And there's tons of truth in that. For me to have true peace in this life, I need the presence of Jesus in my heart. He ends his message on this last night, right before he prays over them in John 17, he ends it with a note of triumph. He says, I've overcome the world. That word overcome, it means that he's conquered, that he's victorious, that he'll prevail and he'll subdue all terms of victory, and that victory was won as within a few hours he would give his life for you and for me. So as we consider these things, the word that's been given and the words of Jesus resonating in our spirit right now, and I think about our response to this passage today, a question I would have, is there anybody that as you're walking through the circumstances of this world that's lacking joy and peace? I want to encourage you to lean into Christ because that is where true joy and peace is found. And that can come to you and it, it transcends your circumstance. It lifts you up. What's interesting in my study of this and talking about what Jesus gives, some people might see it as a substitute. 
Like if I'm a coach and I've got players and I call a substitution, I, I put one player in and I bring one player out. Okay, we make a substitution. And if you look at this passage as like a substitution, like God, he's going to give us his peace and then he's going to take away the really tough circumstance, then be careful because he flat out says you're going to have troubles. What he actually does is he transforms us in the midst of the circumstance. So he doesn't put one in and take one out. He actually says, I'm going to bring a miracle of grace to you so that you can put one foot in front of the other as you walk through this trial. That's encouraging. Because what that tells me is that any circumstance that comes my way, if I look to the Lord, He can do something with this. And one of the things He's going to do is actually in me. He does a transformation when we walk through difficult things. But He brings us a joy. He brings us a peace. Joy and peace are settled into our hearts when we focus our attention on the greatness of God rather than the greatness of our problems. And so in response today, we're going to sing a couple of songs that I know you're familiar with, one of being, How Great Is Our God and How Great Thou Art. And as we lift Him up, we focus on Him. And if you can think of that verse as we fix our eyes on Christ, the things of this world become strangely dim. And so let us sing together. I want to invite you guys to come forward as I pray. Close this message and get ready to lift up the greatness of God. Focus on Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the joy and the peace that you bring us, even in the midst of very difficult things of life. And I pray that whatever's on our heart this morning, we're able to lay that at your feet. And that you would do a transformation in us by your grace. As I spoke this morning, that being able to take heart and be of good cheer, it's because you are present in our heart. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that as you reflect on that, I simply ask the question, is Jesus in your heart? He's the one that brings peace. He's the one that brings joy. You will not truly have these things until he resides in your life. If you would like for him to take up residence in you, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive him today. Just simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, come live in me. There's room in my heart for you. Please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. Give me the strength to live out this faith journey in the midst of a world that is in opposition unto you, help me live in harmony with you. 
Thank you for this gift of salvation. And Father, thank you for comforting us, guiding us as we walk through the things of life. May we all be encouraged as we focus on your greatness. May truly the things of this world become strangely dim. In Jesus' name, amen.